We'll do one very short sit at, at the end. We have about 20 minutes left, um, but I wanted to just wrap up uh, a few things. Um, one was I was very grateful for that mention of the tetrads of the Anapanasati Sutta. So just as a reminder of those, I have them here in case I forget them. So uh, first is breathing in long, you discern I'm breathing in long, breathing out long, you discern I'm breathing out long. Second, breathing in short, you discern you're breathing in short, breathing out short, you discern I'm breathing out short. So not necessarily literally that you go from breathing in long breaths to short breaths, but you're just aware of the qualities of your, your breathing. And the third tetrad, um, training yourself, I will breathe in sensitive to the entire body. I will breathe out sensitive to the entire body. So this is a training, this is very much what we were doing. Uh, fourth tetrad, training oneself, I will breathe in cameling, camming, not cameling, camming body fabrication and breathing out camming body bodily fabrication. And I, um, I interpret that as uh, relaxing, basically, you know, so allowing the body to be relaxed, to be at ease. Uh, sorry, I was calling that those tetrads, but they're not. Uh, so those were, that's the first tetrad. And the second tetrad begins, um, training oneself, I will breathe in sensitive to rapture, that is to pity. So I'll breathe in sensitive to pity. I'll breathe out sensitive to pity. I'll breathe in sensitive to joy. Uh, I will breathe out sensitive to joy. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of similarities there in the kind of the overlap. I wanted to wrap up the first dhyana thing. It implies others, and there are, there are others. There are, there are four dhyanas altogether for different stages of, uh, of absorption. Um, so in the first one, we are calm. There's still a bit of thinking going on, but we're calm. Uh, we're fully in touch with the body, which feels more alive, particularly if there's a sort of flow of, uh, of energy, for want of a better word, uh, flow of pleasure, pleasurable energy, aliveness on the out-breath and on the in-breath. And we're just happy doing that. So that's first dhyana. What happens in second dhyana is you kind of tune out the mind. So your, your thinking stops, or if there's any thinking going on, you're not aware of it because you are fully absorbed or fully absorbed in the body. So at that point, uh, there's really only two dhyana factors left. There's the piti body full of pity, body full of, full of joy. So basically you're kind of like moving in. Uh, sometimes people talk about the jhanas as, you know, one to four is going higher, but you're not, you're going deeper. So you're moving deeper into your experience. Yeah? And then you move one step deeper in third jhana. You kind of tune out the body. You're moving your attention to the... Uh, to the emotional quality of joy and that becomes your central focus and then you're not really noticing the the body uh, anymore 
And in uh, fourth yana, you even uh, tune out joy. You go in like one one shell deeper, and uh, you might wonder what's left. There's peace. The traditional word for it is uh, upeka or equanimity, but I think peace is probably a better word for it. Very, very profound uh, sense of peace. It's actually more. This is where words fail us, really. It's it's more satisfying. Uh, it's probably the word. It's more satisfying than joy. Even joy seems a bit kind of you know buzzy and active, and uh, this is just like a really really deep peace. And uh, at that point, there's uh, this isn't something I've experienced a huge amount, by the way. I can I confess, but um, I don't get on retreat enough. But uh, at that point. My experience has been there's a complete um, loss of any sense of um, an observer and something being observed. So there's just that's where the peace comes from, really, is that sort of complete letting go of any sense of there being a subject or, or an object. There's just like pure experiencing. There's another set of experiences which sometimes people talk about as being the higher jhanas. Uh, they're not jhanas. Uh, these are the formless, formless spheres. They're never called jhanas anywhere in the scriptures, the Buddhist scriptures. Never once are they called jhanas. Um, they can arise completely separately from the jhanas. They actually arise by a different process through different meditation uh, practices. You can go from fourth jhana into the first of these uh, formless spheres, uh, but you can also just go directly into, into the formless spheres. I'm not really going to going to go into that, except to say that with dhyana, you're paying more and more attention to less and less. And with um, the formless spheres, you're paying more and more attention to more and more. Like your, your being and the world outside you, and you're holding those together until some kind of magic happens and there's no sense of separation. That's uh, just a very, very different experience. I wanted to say a couple of words about, um, so if you ever stum stumble into some kind of strange meditative state where it seems like any boundaries between you and the world have disappeared and sometimes the dimensions go, you can't tell where up is and where down is and there's no sense of separation of inside and outside. Uh, you know, you might have stumbled directly into the formless spheres. I was really confused when this first happened because I thought you had to go through the jhanas first of all. It's like, I didn't do that. Anyway, so that can happen. Uh, I want to say just a few words about uh, jhana and insight as well. Um, the standard explanation of this is that um, jhana is useful because it helps you to develop you know, one-pointed focus, which is useful if you're really examining your experience closely, if you want to see its impermanent nature, impermanence and its insubstantiality, etc. Um, that That's true, but I think there's another aspect of jhana that is is even more important and that is that you're sensing yourself more and more in terms of intangible ever-changing qualities so you probably go around thinking well i've got this body this sort of solid lump that's what i am i'm this i'm this solid lump with a with a mind you know in, inside of it somehow functioning uh but when you spend time in meditation being aware of these you know, currents of energy, it's like everything's changing all the time. 
Uh, you're aware of the mind as this kind of vibrant open space. Uh, you're aware of your body as this vibrant kind of conduit for um, for tingly energy. You're aware of your your emotions as being this, you know, you know. You can, you know there's no words to describe it really. Kind of, you have to use metaphors like you know, light, like pulsating light. So your whole being starts to be experienced much more in terms of uh, change, ever-changing processes, rather than this thing, which is which is a body, mm -hmm. and that becomes more your sort of that becomes more your sense of yourself. And um, well, when you're when you're experiencing all of that, where could a static, unchanging self be? It can be anywhere. There's nowhere. There's nowhere for it to hide, because it's just it's just all change. Sometimes say that eventually you, you can get to the point where you realize you don't have a body. You don't, you've only got sensations. There's sensations arising from inside. There's sensations, you know, there's color, texture, etc. But you don't really have a body. All there is is these sensations. So there's this sort of, uh, you know, loosening up of, uh, of your sense of self. Oh, it gets very trippy. <laughs> but it's all very real too, actually. It's all very real. <laughs>